You're listening to The Yarn, a podcast brought to you by Australian Wool Innovation. I'm Ella Edwards, and today I have Anna Buckley here with me to host the podcast. Welcome, Anna. Hi, Ella. So, Anna, you work for the Walnut Company and originally were in the New York office. That's right. Um, I started working for Walmart back in January of 2015 while I was a student in university in New York. I was studying marketing and textiles at a fashion school and learned a bit about Walmart in one of my textiles classes and fell in love with the company and their mission. So it was actually on a staff delegation trip to Australia in 2017 that I had this amazing experience visiting my first sheep property, which was Hillcreston in New South Wales. We got to go to see the wool auctions and also the AWTA labs in Melbourne as well. And finally, we got to meet our team members in the Sydney office who we all work so closely with each day, but had often never met in person. So it's a great experience. And after that, I decided that I wanted the opportunity to work in Sydney and be closer to the wool we promote, the sheep and the stakeholders. And so now I'm here. Fantastic. So Anna and I were invited to Longreach, Queensland, for a conference of wool growers organized by the Australian Wool Network. And that's the topic of conversation on the podcast today. Right, so we went to Longreach, Queensland this month to talk to wool growers and present to them what we've been working on globally with different brands and discussing strategic partnerships and overall just highlight the work we've been doing to tell the provenance stories through you know, wool grower spotlight and brief them on some of the market trends that will be shaping how we work with brands in the coming years. And throughout the course of the day, you know, we met several people from um, not just Longreach, but from Winton to Windora. In particular, one that sticks out was Greg Hunt of AWN, otherwise known as Moose. Um, he actually lives in Longreach and took us to a local farmer's property. His name was Peter Clark. Uh, that was the day after the conference, and so we got the chance to explore the land and look at some of the new exclusion fencing that they put to help curb the presence of wild dogs and kangaroos on the paddocks. So Ella took the opportunity to get a word with each of them on how the morale within the industry is in this region. Yeah, so Peter Clark is a wool grower from just north of Longreach and owns and runs the property Leander with his wife Elizabeth. They've been there for 40 years and um, we had a great conversation about the conditions that they've had over the years and what struck me though was their enthusiasm for the wool industry in Queensland. To give some idea of what the conditions have been like, we had about uh, 130 mils of rain in the last week or so and that's the best fall of rain we've had since 2009. So you can imagine the conditions that we've been under in the last 10 years. We were completely destocked uh, at one stage for two years. I carted water, we'd run out of water completely. And the person I sold the sheep to told me when he, when he bought them that he'd give me the opportunity to buy them back when it rained, and they did. And that was uh, a Lansdowne stud, Hume Turnbull, and I bought them back. I didn't have any rams, so he joined them for me before I got them back. And so we're back into sheep, but only a small number. But, uh, yeah, they're doing pretty well, but even though they're pretty old now, and uh, that's an issue, but we've got some young ones coming, and we're landmarking now, and results are pretty good, so, yeah. And so you've kept with Merinos throughout the last how many years? 
We've been in Merinos for 40 years. There's been a, a lot of changes in that time. When we first came to Leander, I thought that we were trying to run too many sheep and so I changed the mix. I knocked the uh, carrying capacity down a bit and uh, we kept running a few weathers and kept got the ewe numbers down. Consequently from that we, we raised our wool cut by nearly half a kilo, our body weight went up, our lambing percentage went up, but because we'd changed our grazing pressure, kangaroos increased, so we started to uh, control kangaroo numbers too. So that brought about the change, and we could see massive changes in our environment uh, with our pastures and everything else. So we went one step ahead of that, then we uh, started to think that we were getting better results out of some paddocks than others, and we're trying to work out how we could change and get the similar result from all, all of our paddocks. So I started recording it individually each paddock and adjusted the grazing uh, percentage or you know the stocking rate so that I could get the same result from every paddock. And in some paddocks we halved the stocking rate, in some we didn't, we left them alone. But we got it up and we increased our lambing percentage by about 10% overall and our wool cut went up from about, I don't know, was it was about four, went up to five and a half. So we thought we were on the right track, but kangaroos were becoming a real issue. And until just recently, we thought we were, you know, until it got really dry, we sat down one night and said, well, we're getting older, which either sell out or put a fence up to try and control grazing pressure because I believe firmly that if you can't control it, there's, you've got no hope. You don't know what you're doing. So we, we went into debt heavily and put a fence up right in the middle of a drought and it was the best thing we ever did. So it turns out Peter has been studying grazing pressure on his property for a really long time and he's seen some compelling benefits from maintaining control. He's been collaborating with scientists and universities and over the years he's seen great results in the health and diversity of their property. I'd written an article for uh, Rangelands newsletter about controlling kangaroos, what we're doing. And uh, I got a letter from uh, Gordon Grigg, who was a professor of zoology at Queensland Uni, and he said, I've been working on kangaroos for so many years, and you are too. I read your article in the Rangeland newsletter. He says, I feel we're working at it from different ends, but I feel sure we could meet in the middle. And I said, this fellow's pretty interesting bloke. So we asked him to come up and give a talk on kangaroos because he was looking at making them commercial and, and uh, a commercial enterprise. Anyway, one thing led to another and he came up and we got to know him pretty well and he stayed at home a few times. And Anyway, in 94 there was a, a conservation conference going in Brisbane and he got on to me and said, could you do a paper for this conference? And I thought, you know, how the hell am I going to handle that? Anyway, one, cut a long story short, I was uh, friends with a, a vet in the DPI here, Bob Cottam, who um, was also very in, interested in genetics and grazing pressure. And so we put our heads together and used all the data from home and we recorded a lot of stuff in the afternoons. And I got a, a rangeland scientist, local one, Jenny Milson, to come and have a look at some of our pasture because we'd noticed that 
there was some past since we'd lightened kangaroo numbers off there was some pasture that had come back which was supposedly had disappeared and she found quite a few species that had come back that weren't were on us but hadn't been anywhere else so with that was telling us we were doing the right thing but we were having trouble being able to control the kangaroo numbers so anyway i presented that paper in in brisbane and uh, it was all stuff that we'd we'd actually did ourselves and gordon came to me after the conference and he said that's the first time there's been a paper done that's actually done the job he said most of the papers here have been just taken from other articles and put together you've actually done it and lo and behold last two years ago 2016 they had a rerun of of that conference in brisbane and i was asked to do another <laughs> present another paper so i did and it was uh, we changed it a bit because we'd already put a fence up and so with the results that we had then which wasn't complete but it we had enough information to know what what was happening and so we did another run and it's just been the results of that have been just been put out so that was pretty what interesting did they find? Well, what did you find sorry we found that we had to keep our kangaroo numbers down that pigs dogs foxes were all causing more trouble than we thought. We've eliminated the dogs, and I think we've we've still got a couple of pigs, but we've got very low numbers, and we've got no foxes, and I think we've got the cats down to a very low number too. So that has made a huge difference to a lot of things, not just our sheep operation, but there's more bird ground nesting birds coming back. We notice that the country. The sheep are working the country in a completely different manner because of the low kangaroo numbers. A lot of we've got a lot more cover than we had before, so and potentially our ability to have grass come back into areas that were denuded is certainly happening now. Yeah, it's a whole new ball game. We've got to readjust the way we manage the place, and uh, it's quite exciting. And you were saying that you have been noticing how the sheep graze and how they eat certain plants and leave others. Could you talk a bit more on that? Our country is a, a lot of timber, uh, more timber than grass most probably. But we notice when you're driving them along or anything that, that some of them got their head down walking along and, and you notice what they eat. Some of them will peck at a bit of grass, some will eat something else. Most of them will go to all the forbs and the herbs that are, that are around and eat that. And others will be looking up in the air and biting off bit of a tree here and there so they we've got a mixture in our in our flock of uh, ones that that are grazers and others that are <laughs> foragers so we've been I suppose we've encouraged that over the years from from sheep that are suitable to our country and it's certainly made you know they they do very well on it yeah so that's been been interesting to us because most people seem to think that sheep only eat grass. Well, that's far from the truth. They, they eat the grass as the last resort, really. They, they like to have pudding first. <laughs> so I asked Peter what he's been selecting for in his sheep and what merinos do well up in the country around Longreach. It turns out Peter has been working with both objective and visual classing techniques, and he's seen some really interesting results. So consequently, we've been selecting sheep, you know, in the last few years with genetics uh, heavily 
in mind of an objective measurement and also visual. I don't think that you can do one without the other, selecting rams on objective measurement. And we buy our sheep from studs that use objective measurement and use AI and get the right genetics. So we just follow those genetics and, uh, and that's been a major benefit to us. You were saying that through combining the objectives and your visuals, you really refined the micron to the to the micron you wanted, but you also had other benefits like tensile strength. Could you talk on that? Yes, yeah. we didn't realise when we first started on this what the benefits were going to be. Initially, when we first went into objective measurement in a in a fairly big way, we did in combined with vi- visual classing, we did an on onside testing for a couple of years while it was available here with somebody that had an Optus tester. And uh, that was one of the best things we ever did. We, we saw major improvements. We got rid of a lot of coarse fibre sheep that uh, were causing us a problem. And that was through buying rams with objective measurement and, and a different uh, focus, plus that on-site testing. Our micron came down to 19 microns. But as a byproduct of all of that, we found that our tensile strength went up regardless of season and that our length of staple went up and I couldn't quite understand why but then I was re- read an article from the McLarens at Nurstane at Armidale and they've been testing extensively for a very long time one of their flocks they were testing they discovered that they had a, a lot better tensile strength they increased in uh, in length of staple and wool cut but their micron had gone down and they didn't realise when they started out that that would happen or, or why it happened. But, uh, I, you know, we've found exactly the same thing. So it was a byproduct, but a really good one. And there seems to be a lot of positivity in the room today. Everyone seems to be thinking that wool could come back into Queensland in a bigger way. I mean, you've always had wool sheep. What do you think the atmosphere is around merino sheep in in Queensland at the moment? I think it's pretty positive. Most of the people in the room today have been through some pretty tough times and uh, they've been breeding sheep and are pretty uh, keen about merino sheep. Anyone that that was only half and half about it is not here now. So it's only the genuine merino wool growers that are still left. And there's good to see some younger ones there. Most of us are all getting too old. But yeah, I think it is positive. And the dog fences that have been put up in this area have certainly made a hell of a difference and people realise that they can control dogs and they can control grazing pressure, which is the key to what we're doing. Well, thank you so much, Peter, for speaking with me. It's um, been a great day, but it's also been really informative speaking to you and, and what you're doing on your place and with your breeding and your flock. Thanks very much. Thank you. It was so great to speak with the producers in the area, and the hospitality up there was just out of sight. Um, Moose from AWM particularly took us to see an exclusion fence and pointed out all the native plants, like the ghost gum, and even taught us how to set a dog trap, three different kinds to be exact. Ella, you spoke with him at the end of the day about the season and atmosphere in Longreach given the harsh you know, weather conditions they've been experiencing. What was that like? 
I mean, Moose had heaps of stories to tell, didn't he? And honestly, we didn't get a word in all day, but I finally got the recorder in front of him and this is what he had to say. Moose, you're the AWN representative for the area. Yeah, Central and North Queensland. A fair few of the producers we spoke to have put up past defences and, and are making sure that their grazing pressure is down and, and the attacks from wild dogs are quelled. What do you think about the, the cluster fences? Well, if you don't have a fence, wild dogs will probably just drive you out of business in, in a lot of areas. So it's not a matter of wanting to fence, it's a matter of having to fence. And also you get the added benefit of grazing pressure control from other things like feral goats, kangaroos and feral pigs coming in. So yeah, it's a win-win situation for everyone involved. And spell country and the country can come back once we do get some more rain. You were showing us this morning some of the grasses and pastures around the place. What are the ones you want to look out for and, and you like having in the, in the property? Okay, well, we're predominantly summer rainfall here in the round Longreach. We're, we're on the tropic Capricorn. So um, it's predominantly Mitchell grass, Downs country. So that's the one that that's, gives us sustainability. But at the moment, we've got some beautiful herbage coming up as well as uh, Mitchell grass and button grass, uh, a lot of, lot of beautiful grasses and beautiful herbage. So let's hope that they, they will keep coming. But yeah, Mitchell grass is our number one uh, grass that we want to get germinating. And we need summer rain and warm weather for that. So it's great at the moment. A bit more about yourself, Moose. You've been in Longreach for a fair while, have you? Yeah, I've been here about 30, 30 odd years. I've um, been in the wool industry all my time. I've been working with Australian Wall Network since 2006 and prior to that I worked at Longreach Pastoral College as a uh, sheep and wool instructor, yeah. And um, the conference yesterday was really fantastic. There was a lot of energy in the room and, and people were pretty interested about the wool game, which is good to see. Oh, awesome roll up. It was over 50 people and um, the mood was great especially after the bit of rain we've had there's some people that couldn't get there due to flooding and cleaning up after the big rain up north and uh, there's some other people that are still haven't had rain to the east that, that didn't show up but you know that's that's you get that but the mood's great and people are just so keen to to build up numbers once we do get a bit more rain now we've got the fences up it'll be all systems go yeah, it seems like a pretty exciting time to be in Queensland and to be in the sheep and wool industry. And um, we'll look forward to uh, hopefully coming up here a bit more, but also seeing some more um, sheep coming out of Queensland. Yeah, definitely will be more wool produced and more sheep. The country's very well suited for sheep. We have a lot of cattle, but uh, cattle eat a lot of feed and, and, and there's more money to be made in sheep. There's no doubt about that. So I think we'll see a swing back to sheep. Once the wild dogs are controlled and we get more fences up, it's all systems go. Thanks so much for speaking with me, Moose. Thank you. It was great to go up there and present to the growers. They were interested in what we had to share because it's not often the fashion and farming worlds get to interact in this way. You know, we shared with them some of the product collaborations being promoted globally, from seamless activewear to the newly launched Woolmark certified running shoes by APL. They were amazed that these were made of 80% wool. One of the other textile innovations we presented was the Optum jacket. It's 100% Australian merino wool, which many of them didn't believe. It's wind and water resistant and also has an NFC chip technology that connects the consumer with the provenance of the jacket. 
quite a few growers wanted to buy them. So we're looking forward to seeing some long-reach farmers sporting their pure new wool jackets around town. And if you want one, all you need to do is get your levy payer number and go to www.wool.com store to get yours at wholesale price. Another way wool growers can showcase their wool is through the Woolmark Vale Stencil Program. Available for all Australian wool growers free of charge, you can order your free stencil to promote your wool as proudly Australian grown. Just head to www.wool.com slash stencil. You know, we had so much interest in both the Optum jacket and the stencil, which I think really showed how passionate the growers are about their industry, even through the tough conditions they've been experiencing recently. I think the spirit of the people there is strong and the eagerness to rebuild a strong wool industry in Queensland is really exciting to see firsthand. So that's it for another episode of The Yarn. Thanks so much, Anna, for joining me. Thanks, Ella. I really enjoyed getting to talk to you and also with the wool growers. Again, a big thank you to AWN for hosting us at Longreach and all the wool growers and staff we met up there. I'm Ella Edwards and we look forward to our next yarn.